North-South Connection Podcast Network listeners, assemble and welcome back for another installment of the Multiverse of Fabulousness. My name is Johnny C, and this is episode number 12. So I guess we're going to have a little bit of senioritis this go-around, if I don't mind telling you. But as always, thanks so much for buckling up and strapping in for another episode here of the Multiverse of Fabulousness, where we peek into alternate realities or alternate Earths out there in the multiverse and take a look at some pop culture variants. Now folks, in Johnny C's life right now, a couple of different things have been dominating my quote-unquote free time. It's old news at this point, but uh, I took a lot of time to sort of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, focus up or to you know, study, I guess, to make it sound less fun. Uh, The Thor, Jason Aaron run to prepare for Thor Love and Thunder, which I reviewed and talked about and hated on as much as a human possibly can without being negative. Uh, Recently here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, check it out in the archives. So yeah, I've been reading a lot of comics and playing a lot of Final Fantasy VII Remake. And as it goes here in my headspace, sometimes what I'm into at the time influences what I want to do the show about. And since Final Fantasy VII Remake, while awesome, is not a universally applicable topic of consideration, folks, welcome to the Wrestling Cinematic Universe, the WCU. And for the first time in history of the Multiverse of Fabulousness, we are going to visit four alternate earths or alternate realities here on the show so yeah guys i've been watching a lot of mcu stuff uh review you know i've I've been watching also a lot of like recaps and ranking videos too where people are ranking mcu movies and stuff like that i just i don't know i enjoy sort of having that stuff on in the background as white noise while i'm doing the dishes and then suddenly yelling at the top of my lungs no iron man 3 is not that good well you know, maybe a bad example. I, I've been actually considering an Iron Man three rewatch as it's recently come back into vogue as a good movie. So, uh, stay tuned for that one sometime in the future. But, you know, as always, I'm constantly watching wrestling matches from my shows over in the Aqua Cave. Cheap plug, subscribe and like the Aqua Cave. It's a podcast feed where I host a bunch of wrestling shows, usually bad wrestling, but good wrestling too. And, you know, so Marvel wrestling, Final Fantasy. We already decided Final Fantasy gets the axe. And I've always sort of wanted to do a show where I cast the Avengers or the Justice League or something like that as wrestling superstars just because I love sort of reimagining things. And today, we're going to do that, all right? But what I'm going to do is we're going to take a look at four separate Earths, each one housing a different team of Avengers based on the roster in place of that era. So let me just simplify it, folks. We're going to do a WWF Federation era Avengers. We're going to do a WWF New Generation Avengers roster. We're going to do a WWF Attitude era roster. And then probably my least favorite, which is why it's such a huge breadth of time, a Ruthless Aggression to Now roster of Avengers featuring WWE superstars. And I am going to try to simplify things and also quantify things as well. Because the North South Connection Podcast Network, you know, it's what we. I, I, I'm I'm understanding and seeing that it's 
it's one thing to have an opinion. It's one thing to do something goofy and fun, which is something I try to do a lot. But I also want it to make sense, and I want it to be measurable. Okay, so there are, as always, going to be rules in place here in the multiverse of fabulousness, so we can't just do crazy shit because it's fun. It's got to be in the spirit of the project. So, let me explain to you what these teams are going to look like. Each era will have one team, obviously, and each team must consist of a stand-in for the original MCU Avengers lineup as it's depicted in the 2012 film Marvel's The Avengers, as it is known in the rest of the world. Uh, Did you guys know that? Did our United States listeners know that The Avengers is called Marvel's The Avengers everywhere else in the world? Probably because The Avengers, like uh, John Steed and Emma Peel, are so popular over in the UK sphere. But also, you got to get that brand awareness out there. It's brand synergy, pal. And of course... That lineup consists of the following Marvel characters. Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Odin's son, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and the Incredible Hulk. All right? Now, I'm going to define what that means. Okay, I'm not just looking for guys that are big and tough to cast as the Hulk. I'm not just going to come in here and be like, uh, the Hulk is Earthquake... Golga, Mabel, and uh, the Great Kali. You know, which, hey, there's a, there's a Survivor Series dream team. But how do we get Golga and Earthquake on the same team at the same time? Uh, well, uh, we'll ask our friend Doink about that and get back to you in a future episode of the Multiverse of Fabulousness. But each one of these characters... Uh, actually represents certain things or parameters that a WWF slash E superstar should have in their toolbox, and I will get to that, all right? But let's first focus on the rules, okay? The wrestler chosen must be a babyface variant of their career, okay? So if you're going to pick, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of someone I didn't pick. Uh... (laughs) He doesn't have any. I was going to say, Bad News Brown was the first person that popped in the head. Okay, so let's pretend that Bad News Brown did have a babyface run in the WWF era. Um, the version of him that's selected to the Avengers roster would be the babyface version of him. So all of the characteristics that I'm going to say have to apply to those characters would be the babyface version of Bad News Brown. Can you imagine a happy-go-lucky Bad News Brown in the late 80s, early 90s? I can only imagine what Vince McMahon would have him out there doing. All right, Brown, go over here. All right, Bad News. All right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be good news, Brown. And what are you going to do? You're going to go out there and you're going to get funky. You're going to bust a move. You're going to dance. And you're going to make all those little kids dance too. And by God, you're going to carry this boom box. Uh, yes, that's that's what I believe Vince McMahon to be like in his everyday life. Okay, And the project, like I said, is interested more in the archetypes of these characters more than being exact replicas of the Marvel characters. Uh, the Hulk might be the easiest example of this, as I mentioned earlier, because it could hypothetically be possible for a cruiserweight to be cast as the Incredible Hulk, which I know might sound crazy, and we haven't yet to find what makes an Incredible Hulk character, but we will get to that. So there's no uh, closed doors here. we got an open-door policy, unless you're going in the Forbidden Door, Monsoon. Nobody's allowed in the Forbidden Door. Um, and, and the third rule, just have fun. 
All right, this show, in particular, this episode is designed just to have a little bit of fun. Uh, so let's define what these characters are and how they relate to professional wrestling, okay? And I think this will make it clear how a cruiserweight could hypothetically be the Incredible Hulk, although I can't think of any cruiserweights off the top of my head that uh, meet the Incredible Hulk character uh, traits. So, Captain America! He is the leader of the Avengers. Well, what does that mean in the wrestling world? To me, it means he's a main eventer. Captain America is a little vanilla in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He sticks to his guns. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. And uh, luckily, the Captain America film version, at least, isn't uh, like a blind American ideologist. You know, if the government enacts something in place that he just thinks is wrong, he goes against it. And to me, that equates in the WWF slash E world a righteous babyface. Someone who goes out there and plays by the rules, but is willing to understand sometimes the rules are different, and I'll play by those rules. Captain America, the character, is inspiring. Well, in the WWF slash E world, that means they're selling merchandise, pal. They're inspiring people to want to be like them. They're moving merch. I don't really know any other way to say it. And I don't mean to sound uh, like a a sourpuss uh, equating being inspirational to making money. But, after all, I'm comparing the Marvel Universe to the wrestling universe. And I do think that characters that are main adventures and a righteous baby face, that sort of leans naturally into moving merchandise. And so it seems to make sense. Let's define what makes an Iron Man. Well, they can wrestle a 60-minute match that's entertaining, so Bret Hart immediately out of consideration. No. So, in the MCU, Iron Man, my first note, well, he's everyone's favorite, right? Well, not necessarily, but I think if you want to just, you know, pigeonhole this stuff, Iron Man, extremely, extremely favorite a bowl. So what does that mean in the wrestling world? They're universally over. Pretty self-explanatory. Iron Man is charming. Well, and your taste may vary, but what does that mean in the WWF world? It means they've got some fantastic mic work. They're great on the mic. Iron Man is a genius in the MCU. Well, what does that mean in wrestling? He's a hell of a worker, usually. That's And, and these criteria, don't get me wrong, I, it's very difficult to check all these boxes, but these are the things that I'm considering and weighing against my final choices, okay? So you might get three out of four. You might get two out of four, but I make a really good argument. You know, these are just examples of things that could happen. Iron Man always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, that means that the WWF version of Iron Man can match wits with the heels. They're not always getting outsmarted by uh, stupidity. You know, yes, they might get disqualified because they got caught holding the chair when the heel was the one that used it. That happens sometimes. No baby face is invincible against that. I've, I've learned in my years of watching wrestling. But it's not just a stupid baby face. You know, they're a little bit more uh, of a fully formed character, if that makes sense. Thor Odinson. He's a god. Well, in our world, that means he's an attraction, pal. He is on an entirely different level with the team in terms of power, uh, but they still don't overpower the rest of the team. Uh, To me, being a god in the MCU means you've been in the main event scene. That's just part of being on a completely different other level as an attraction as well. 
Sometimes, though, Thor is out of touch with the rest of his team. Well, in the WWF, I think that means you're a possibly a character first and a quote-unquote wrestler second. He is, however, a part of Marvel's Holy Trinity. Usually, when you talk about Holy Trinities in comic books, it's the DC Trinity of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Marvel has a less interesting trinity of Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. Uh, so, in my opinion, that means that the Thor character, even though they might be an attraction, should be just as marketable on the lunchbox as your Captain America and Iron Man picks. Hawkeye. Well, he's kind of the MCU's everyman, which I think equates to a mid-carter. But, as often in comic books, uh, in comic books there's this fun little trope, um, when it comes to characters that are non-powered, like you'll pull up a list of like uh, Superman's powers, right? And it's like flight, invincibility, ice breath, heat vision, super speed, you know, super hearing, etc., etc. And then you pull up the list of Batman's powers, and it's like the peak of the human condition is like the first one always listed, meaning that they're or like uh, one of the other ones is like Olympic level athlete, Olympic level gymnast. It means that. If a human, they're the best in every attribute that a human can possibly obtain without being like a metahuman, a mutant, a powered individual, etc. So in the M, in the WWF, that means they flirted with the main event. They might not consistently be a main eventer, but they've at least played in that pool before. Hawkeye also has a secret backstory that we learn in Avengers Age of Ultron. In the WWF, that equates to the fact that this person has to have at least a couple of memorable storylines in their back pocket. The Black Widow. Well, in the MCU, the Black Widow is very mysterious. So, the WWF version has to be a character that has had multiple face and heel turns. The Black Widow, well... She got a solo movie after her death in the regular MCU. And, uh, well, I think, honestly, it was a little too late. Or, what is it, too little too late? Uh, I do, the Black Widow movie's fine. Uh, It's not awful. It's not great. But it is very strange that she got her own movie after she was dead. So, in the WWF, that means, to me, a person who got a push and finally got to that main event scene that we always thought they should have been. But it was a little too late, and in the grand scheme of things, probably doesn't matter. The best example off the top of my head is Kofi. And and I'm not throwing shade. I popped just like the rest of us at WrestleMania 35. I was at a SmackDown taping during Kofi Mania in the lead-up to WrestleMania, and I was just as Kofi crazy as everybody else. But in the end, did it matter? I don't know. Black Widow is also great at the art of deception. What does that mean in wrestling? Well, they should be a clever worker that's inventive and also creative. Also kind of like Kofi, in a way. The Hulk is a lovable rage monster. Well, in the ring, that means they should be what I lovingly refer to as a world beater. Someone who is maybe a little stiff or hits hard. They're also the team's very much last resort. Only bring out the Hulk if it's absolutely necessary. Which means that the Hulk might not be at every show in the wrestling world. So they're a possible non-main eventer. But the Hulk also changes and evolves throughout the course of the Marvel Cinematic Universe when he eventually becomes Professor Hulk. Well, in wrestling, that should be a character that has undergone some massive changes over their career. Uh, Maybe they started out not talking, 
Then they only talked with a voice box saying things like, I will set myself on fire. And then we find them running around in a suit and a tie reporting to the board of directors at a later time. Yes, it's just Kane. But think of stuff like that when it comes to their evolution. They've, you know, they've, 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 they've lasted in the industry because they have changed. So I hope that quantifies what it means to be these character archetypes when I pick my actual Avengers teams. And since, and, and spoiler alert, I gotta be honest with you, when I initially set out to do this project, uh, I was just gonna do one Avengers team throughout history, okay? And I started to notice that all of my picks came from what I lovingly call the Federation era, or the cartoon era, and I suddenly decided that I should probably break this bad boy down by era, otherwise it's all going to be wrestlers that uh, came and went by like 92. So, because of that being the case, I have decided to do my presentation backwards, because the Ruthless Aggression era to the modern era is my least favorite era of the product, and I want to start there and work to the big finish. Well, it's the big finish in my eyes. So, all of that being said, and I, of course, will reflect back on my character archetypes as we go along, I think we're ready to dive in to Earth Ruthless to see who made this team of Avengers. Now, with each new Earth comes a new roster of heroes and wrestlers, but also a new opportunity for shameless promotion, because every other Tuesday here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network you can take a listen to the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast, which does indeed cover the Ruthless Aggression era of the WWE. It's a fantastic program. Jake's a fantastic host, and he's so consistent. It's as if the Ruthless era aggression never ended and continues to this day because a new one drops every other Tuesday here on the feed. Now, it might, this, this team definitely is a power group, okay? And it covers a very large area era, and that's a fault of my own. But I don't know, I was trying to put a clear break in when do you really when does the ruthless era a ruthless aggression era really end? I don't know. I'm sure that there's probably a great documentary or podcast or something out there that will define when that clean break happens. But to me, guys, man, I'll tell you what, once that draft happens in 02 all sort of bleeds together. And it probably doesn't help that that was, uh, you know, I was in college during the draft, and, you know, it's always harder when you're busy and when you're just focused on other shit to pay attention to everything, and then next thing you know, you're working and you got kids, and it's just like, I don't know where that break happens. I'm sure there is one, but, uh, you know, it's my show, so Ruthless to Now is where we're going. And we're going to start with Captain America. Because that's the first one we defined. And it's probably going to be pretty obvious to everyone. When I was going through the Captain America archetypes, uh, starting with the Ruthless Aggression Era, you were probably like, well, I know that one. You, you probably got it right, folks. It's John Cena. We're going with what I'm lovingly calling the Big Match John era of the character. Is it obvious? Yes. But sometimes, I mean... If you were to, if I were to tell you the plot of a Marvel movie and be like, this happens and Captain America has to make a choice as to what he's going to do, I bet you could probably decipher what that choice is going to be. Well, 
I mean, to me, that's John Cena in a nutshell. His character is crazy consistent. And I love this big match John era because the reaction seemed consistent as well. And he finally found a place in fans' hearts. And the best way I can define that is, you know, I don't think I've actually ever seen John Cena wrestle live. Okay? But if I would have been at one of these big match John era style matches. Okay? And this is like the, uh, you know, the the post-28 era where he's putting on all these five-star matches with guys like Brock and Daniel Bryan and Roman and AJ Styles and all that stuff and then doing the US title stuff where he's he's crazy consistent but what what I was getting to is that I would have lovingly paid money to boo John Cena out of the arena even in this big match John era but here's the thing I would have been booing him out of the building knowing that there is no one I would rather boo. And there was no one I would have more fun booing. And the boos would not be true boos. True boos. That sounds like a 60s song. True boos. I've got the true boos. Um, but what I mean by that is how can you not love this guy? Not only as a person... Uh, but as a wrestler who really settled into this main event style groove and was able to be adaptable and perform with so many different types of characters. You know, just kind of like how Captain America does in the MCU. He's got great interactions with all the different characters. You know, he can match wits with Tony Stark and also, uh, I don't know, spar 10 rounds with Captain Marvel and still survive. You know, obviously, if she's not going full power. That sounds like a nerd conversation that doesn't belong on this podcast. But he, you know, at the end of the day, I'd boo the shit out of him. And But if he wasn't there for me to boo, I'd be so disappointed. I want, I, I love booing. I want nothing more than to go there and just have a reaction to the character. And uh, I bet halfway through the match, he'll have me cheering my, my ass off for him because he continues to entertain and be fantastic. Um, and plus... Captain America seems to be an integral part of most of the better films in the MCU. And, well, let's be honest, folks. Uh, Can you not say that about Big Match John? Okay? Pick a random pay-per-view that has a Big Match John match on it. And I guarantee that's probably the best part of that pay-per-view. So, Captain America, John Cena... Let's 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 move on from the obvious, but I don't have enough positive things to say about the person. Iron Man. Well, we already defined that Iron Man can't be Bret Hart, and he's not in this era. So it is what I'm calling the post Money in the Bank version of CM Punk. All right, now Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., great performance, obviously loved universally, etc., etc. CM Punk may not have the box office that Robert Downey or Iron Man does slash did, but the wrestling there's a certain segment of the wrestling audience that is extremely loyal. All right, probably most of us here that uh, create this content would be a good example of that. A, I would imagine that that portion that sticks with it. Um, You know, because obviously each era has youngsters that get involved and get inspired by the product, and maybe they become lifelong fans. I think in this CM Punk post-Money in the Bank era, whether or not it was reflective of his positioning within the company, 
that loyal portion of the audience was here for him. And I think that equates to sort of the status and clout that Robert Downey Jr. being in a, an Avengers or a group movie equates to. It's like, oh, do you know they're making a new Spider-Man movie? Yeah, and Iron Man's in it. It's going to be so cool. It's like, yeah, we like Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man's probably not the best example because he's one of those like universally loved characters. Um, but having Iron Man there adds to it. It's like, yeah, uh, Punk, or I'm sorry, not Punk. Punk, well, Punk's part of this example. But it's like Rock and Cena at WrestleMania. Don't forget Punk's defending the title too. Like he, and like I said, there's that portion of the audience, and they exist to this day. Uh, see AEW's fan base that's rabid for quote-unquote wrestling, 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 work rate style stuff, and that's fine. He's got stellar mic work, just like Iron Man. He's got intellectual promos. He's the smartest guy in the room. If he's the babyface or the heel, but we're going with this post-Money in the Bank babyface variant, like when he gets on his long title run, as I said. Um, you know, he, he's his, his, his promos are nothing if not cerebral most of the time. He's also consistent and good in the ring, just like the Iron Man performances. You know... You might get a little tired of the shtick after a while, but at the end of the day, you're going to be entertained. Now, another fun comparison is I'm not, and this might be a little Johnny C, okay, but Iron Man's solo films, while they're fine, they're not my favorite, okay, and it's they're your favorites, that's totally fine. And I feel like when CM Punk has had a CM Punk-only feud, so a feud where it's just like, oh, did you know CM Punk's feuding with Chris Jericho? That's a solid, and this is not a knock, this is not a gag, this is not me being a, an anti-work rate or AEW guy. His CM Punk only style storylines are a very solid B+. Kind of just like the Iron Man films, well at least Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 3. Okay, It's not going to be the hottest thing on the face of the earth, but it's going to be very, very solid. Okay, you see, I mean, WrestleMania 28 is a great example. You know, he's not the headliner, but that, you know, his feud with Jericho, I don't, I don't know, that might not be the best example. You know, you, th- you think of uh, other feuds he's had. You know, he had a series with Alberto Del Rio, I think. Uh, I don't know, they're all series now. I can't really keep it straight. But my point is, is that it's consistently in that B to B plus tier. Okay, so I think that should solidify his place as Iron Man. Plus, he's moving merch. The CM Punk fans are loyal with their dollars, as are Iron Man fans. Now, the next one might be a controversial pick, but I have talked myself into it, and damn it, I'm standing by it, but I'm going to try to prove my point using information, okay? Thor Odinson, in this ruthlessly modern era, is Roman Reigns. Specifically, here comes the controversy, the tribal chief version now controversy controversy uh i just learned english let's tackle the controversy right away okay roman reigns has turned the tribal chief character into a baby face character that is positioned internally as a heel okay there i don't think this is deniable and he's done it by being he's done this organically by just being so fucking good at it so i do not see this as a breaking of my rules where I had to pick a babyface variant, okay? And you might think that 
Thor's traits, at least the ones that I advertised, don't apply to Roman because not only has he been the longest reigning champ in quite, I think since Punk, you know, that would mean that he is solidified. I mean, he is the fucking main event. All right. Let's not kid ourselves. And the Thor character was supposed to be more of an attraction. Here's how I'm going to explain this. Okay. And I hope it makes sense. Pardon my throat clearing. So picture a clear summer day in uh, 1988 at Madison Square Garden. And Hulk Hogan is defending the WWF Championship against, oh, I don't know, ravishing Rick Rude. Okay? Uh, Not an A-level threat to Hogan's title. But, don't forget, guys, also on the card, Andre the Giant is taking on Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Now, fuck, guys, I don't want to see this card either, but hear me out. You got Hulk on the card defending the title where he should be, but you've also got Andre on the card Holy shit, I'm putting down money to see that guy, which would be kind of like my Thor equivalent. But Roman Reigns is truly existing in a ridiculously unique time in wrestling history. Because, folks, the WWE Championship has become the attraction. It's completely unique in wrestling's history, in my opinion. The titles are now merged. The title is the attraction. Ro- I mean, I mean, this, this. Hey, you slow down, pal. Sorry, uh, there's a ridiculous uh, hot rodder just drove by here in my local area, and hopefully the speed, the speed racer came through over the audio, which would explain my "you slow down, pal." But anyway, let's get back to the point, okay? The old, old, old Hulk Hogan model, uh, you know, when Andre wasn't on the card, was sort of similar. Hogan's here, he's the attraction, but he also happens to be the champion. He might show up on Superstars for an interview, but if you want a match, well, folks, you better fucking throw down your hard-earned money, okay? It's uh, And he's got that fantastic new contract, which he's more than earned, where he's only working select dates, thus reiterating the fact that the attraction is the championship, uh, which is sort of being a god amongst humans, if you will. There have been lots of pay-per-views recently in this stretch, like Money in the Bank, WrestleMania Backlash, uh, eh, I might be forgetting one, a Hell in a Cell, where the, 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 the fucking brand identity, you might say is lost. I don't say it's lost. I say the brand identity is the champion. They've made him an attraction once again. And you know what? Only the Tribal Chief version of Roman Reigns could have accomplished that. And that's why he's the Thor of this era. And like I said, he's somehow gotten this character over as a big... I mean, shit, I would buy a Roman Reigns shirt if uh, they made a good one. In my opinion, I just don't feel like they've made a good one in a while. I'm more of a give me a witty saying on the front of the shirt and maybe on the back, the wrestler's logo type of guy. Think Austin 316. I guess I'm kind of the guy that just doesn't want a t-shirt of Roman Reigns jumping in the air doing a Superman punch. Uh, Or the classic yellow Razor Ramon shirt, which I hear is quite expensive these days. All right, let's let's move, let's step down from godhood, though, and deal with a more human character, Hawkeye. All right, Hawkeye for me is Daniel Bryan, specifically the B-plus player era of Daniel Bryan. That would be from that uh, sort of 
championship ceremony in December where he's like laughing on camera because the crowd's just absolutely going apeshit for him and CM Punk's making all the faces behind Triple H and Stephanie up until he gets injured after WrestleMania 30. So he got the big push and he puts on fantastic work rate matches, meaning he's at the peak of the human condition and he does indeed win the big one, solidifying his place amongst the Avengers just like Hawkeye. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at the man. Good Lord, he seems like a good human being. But he got hurt, okay? And that's not his fault. No one, no one's, you know, I'm not throwing shade. But that put a hard stop to his push to what could have potentially been the Daniel Bryan era of WWE. I don't know if they would have ever actually gone for it, but that's a whole other podcast. And so, does it come across as being too little too late? We all remember it, and it's certainly legendary. But uh, sort of at the end of the day, if you sit down and list the Avengers by memory, maybe if you're a casual fan of that film or the MCU, who's the one you might forget? Well, I'd argue it's probably Black Widow or Hawkeye. I guess for this, and nothing against them or the actors and actresses to portray them. But you might forget, oh yeah, Daniel Bryan was there too. He was sort of the guy they leaned on in spite of already having all these larger-than-life characters and attractions to put on the marquee. I mean, for God's sakes, they brought back Blue Tista for this big run. They felt like they had to go outside the company to find an Avengers-level threat. Um, And so I hope that sort of summarizes how Hawkeye compares to Daniel Bryan. I'm a huge fan of of D-Bry, as Booker T would say. He usually always makes my shucky-ducky-quack-quack and Faye Five lists, okay? But he's very human. His wrestling pushes and his wrestling career has shown this. And to me, nothing spells more human than Hawkeye. More human than Hawkeye. More human than Hawkeye. That's a fucking Edges theme song here in the next coming weeks. Uh, So I think it's pretty clear why Daniel Bryan would be picked as my Hawkeye. Let's move on to Hawkeye's best bud. Uh, And completely, uh, what is it? Uh, Oh, when you're... uh, when you're friends with a lady or a guy, a platonic, platonic, Hawkeye's platonic best friend, the Black Widow. And the Black Widow is Randy Orton. Specifically, this very modern respect era is what I'm calling this Randy Orton variant. Uh, kind of the one we've got running around now before he got hurt in this sort of RK bro type era. Now, I can't count the amount of times that fucking Randy Orton has turned babyface, heel, etc., etc. So that is an easy checkbox, okay? Now, I equated Black Widow's movie and push in the MCU as being too little too late. Now, this version of Randy Orton, this respect version, is very much the current era of Randy Orton, where we have finally landed on as fans... We love you, Randy. We respect everything you've done. Yeah, you shit in the bags, but you were just a youngster who didn't know any better. We love you. You know what? You could work the main event if you had to. But if you need to elevate the tag titles and be one half of RK Bro as a crazy, sinister rattlesnake who just so happens to get along with the the scooter-riding shenanigans of Mr. Riddle. We love you for that too, Randy. We love every single part of you. You could come out here, shit in our bags, and do a sweet RKO variant, and we'd probably still love you. Speaking of those sweet RKO variants, I did say that the Black Widow should probably be creative and inventive. Well, 
I think those RKO variants are pretty fucking cool, and I'm always impressed when he busts out a different type or works in conjunction with his uh, wrestling partners or opponents, which are also partners if you think about it, in the ring to create cool new versions of it. It's probably the most recent, well, I guess the Tribal Chief is kind of a recent thing too, but I really love this Respect Era Randy Orton. You'll notice also that nowhere did I say that the uh, Black Widow had to be a female. And I'm actually kind of feeling bad about this whole scenario because this era was probably the best era, excuse me, to get a female on the roster. And we are getting so, so, so close to the WWE pushing a female as their chief brand identity. No, that's not a play on chief brand, officer. I really mean that. I think... We're dealing with a current crop of female superstars. I think, honestly, Bianca Belair probably has the best opportunity. You know, when you think of, like, the WWE semi-trucks driving from town to town, carrying the ring, we're closer than ever to having one of the female superstars be that semi-truck icon, which sounds like a really fucking weird thing to say, guys. I'm just trying to make a point. Um, You know, they're certain characters that I could see, be, you know, if you had to put one face on the side of the semi, you know, Hogan, Austin, Rock, Cena, Roman, we're getting there with the female characters, okay? It will happen, and I can't fucking wait for it, because I'm a big fan of female wrestling, but it just didn't work out in the cards. Please don't hate me or stab me via mean tweets. Let's talk about the final member of the modern Avengers roster. It's the Hulk. And well, folks, it's someone else whose name begins with it. Look at the article. The. All right. It's the Undertaker. The streak era of the Undertaker. I said, folks, that the Hulk is the last resort in an Avengers battle. Now, that's usually because Bruce Banner doesn't want to turn into the Hulk. And unleashing the Hulk before he got smart was always a catch-22. Sure, you might win the battle, but you might die in the process when the Hulk doesn't realize you're his ally and not his enemy. Well, I don't know any other better comparison for the latter years of The Undertaker's career when they dust off the character after a 9-month or 10-month absence just to put together a WrestleMania storyline. And that's okay. That's totally fine. But let's not kid ourselves. Once you get past the Undertaker, once you get past the era of you being eligible to potentially be punished by going one-on-one with the Undertaker, as Teddy Long would say, okay? That's this era we're dealing about. His streak era, okay? And you cannot argue against this man having so much evolution in his character. Yes, This era is very much a dead man presentation of The Undertaker. But here's the thing, folks. When The Undertaker would get dusted off in this streak era and go to WrestleMania and have a match, let's just say with CM Punk. And I haven't watched that match in a long time, but I'm just going to use it as an example. Well, he's going to come down to the ring like the dead man. Uh, I remember the zombie hands reaching for him. Okay, He's got the urn in that particular era. Is he going to throw soup bones? Yep, that's a little bit of American Badass Undertaker. Is he going to slap in the Hell's Gate or the Go-Go Plata? Yeah, that's a little bit of that SmackDown 6, uh, I'm a uh, great pure striker Undertaker fighting Edge in the La Familia era. You're also getting 
probably a last ride if CM Punk tries to get on mounted punches in the corner. Well, that's a little bit of that American badass Undertaker. And so the streak era is very much the final evolution of the Undertaker character, much like how Professor Hulk is, well, at this point anyway, the final evolution of the Incredible Hulk in the MCU. And let, let's be honest, I think that's going to wrap up this modern to ruthless era of the Avengers. So, let's wrap up with a little bit of fun. I've decided that uh, at the end of each era, I'm going to... you know, So, you watch the Avengers, right? Everybody loves that heroic spinning shot from Avengers 1, okay? You know, uh, the Chitauri are all... And the Avengers fucking assemble and the camera spins around him. And, you know, Captain America tightens up his shield and Iron Man lands and sort of like... He hovers and lands and Hawkeye, you know, wraps up an arrow and Black Widow's reloading her gun. And I think Thor's twirling his hammer. Maybe I've seen this movie a few times. Too many, folks. Maybe I have some sort of crazy disease that needs to be evaluated. And I think the Hulk screams at the camera's face. So let's just imagine what each one of these characters would do in this final Avengers shot, and then we'll move on to the next era. And no, having a detail like this isn't really necessary at all, but hey, it's my show, so for shits and grins, let's imagine what these WWE Avengers would do. So you gotta have Cena, dead center, he's got one of his never-give-up towels, and he's just holding it nice and clear for the camera so you can read it and know how to Google it to order one for your kids. Daniel Bryan's in the middle of a yes finger point. Yes! Yes! Roman Reigns gotta be cocking the fist, getting the shotgun loaded. The Undertaker doing the throat slit. Randy Orton could do a couple of different things. I considered his pose with the arms stretched out, but I prefer that crazy shit where he's like not facing the camera and then he flips backward and then he. What's he do? He, no, he doesn't flip. He spins forward and coils down like a snake, all while CM Punk hovers in with his Iron Man boots and draws a line in the sand. Stupid, yes, but fun to visualize nonetheless. Let's move on to an Earth that I honestly, guys, thought was going to be a lot easier to do than it actually was. Uh, it's Earth Attitude, which is an Earth that you can visit every other Thursday when Chad and JT come at you with the wrestling war zone, when they're reliving the greatest era in the history of our sport, allegedly, uh, with the Monday Night Wars era, the WWF versus the WCW. Man, they are cruising along in the fall of 1996, helping me relive all the moments that I'd forgotten before the NWO became overstuffed and crowded and before the WWF got their head out of their ass and they're still taping four to five episodes at a time in bulk. And uh, it's just so much fun to listen to. And I love how they've been sort of uh, pulling a little multiverse of fabulousness of their own uh, when they sort of hypothesize where the Jim Ross heel turn could have been going. No, they don't break out into full-on rebooking, but it's a lot of fun to imagine what if. So as I'd mentioned, this one was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I started to think about why is that? And I'm not going to make any jokes about good guys versus bad guys, but you want to talk about like stereotypical babyface archetypes? They're kind of hard to come by in this era. Now, I'd say that's a good thing for the WWF television uh, audience and program and content they were creating at the time. It's a bad thing for me having to do this project, but in retrospect, they didn't do it for this project. 
They should have, but they didn't. So, let's start at the top, as usual, with Captain America. Oh boy, I could already hear the tweets. Yes, this one is ridiculously obvious, but hear me out, because I did try to have it make sense. It is indeed the Milk-O-Mania variant of Kurt Angle. Now look, let's start with some of the similarities that, well, not that we're going to get into differences, but let's talk about how the two characters correlate, okay? Captain America out in the battlefield, if you will. He's a master strategist and a, a great cunning warrior in Marvel lore. You know, there's that fantastic scene in Infinity War where uh, all of the Avengers that are in Wakanda have to run at the uh, oh, what is Thanos' black army. Uh, he's got his... Uh, Oh, his ch- the children of Thanos are leading the Outriders and the what have you. It's irrelevant. It's just for comic nerds. But Black Panther and Captain America are running, you know, just like everybody else is. But since Black Panther has the, the herb and uh, Captain America has the uh, super soldier serum, they're like the fastest ones. Uh, just a good example of how Kurt Angle, or, or excuse me, Captain America is kind of like your peak athlete. I mean, he's more human than human. Don't sing. Don't sing. I didn't do it. Um, but anywho, Kurt Angle is a masterclass when it comes to the art of professional wrestling, okay? There's nothing the man couldn't do inside a wrestling ring, and as a nice little bonus, there's nothing that he couldn't do on the microphone as well once he got used to it, okay? His babyface persona is a little straightforward, just like Captain America's persona. However, it's the Attitude Era, and Kurt Angle, the babyface's version of right and wrong, do seem to parallel with the more modern interpretation of Captain America that we talked about. You know, superhero registration is the easiest one to go back on. Just because it's now the law doesn't mean it's the right thing in Captain America's eyes. And, you know, just because babyfaces usually don't hit their opponents with steel chairs to win championships, well, Kurt Angle's going to do that if it's necessary, because this is the Attitude Era, by God. I'm playing by the rules. The rules of the Attitude Era. Now, the last big sort of hiccup in this uh, presentation of Kurt as Cap, say that six times fast, is I, I had a hard time thinking about Kurt Angle really moving merch. I know he had a shit ton of TV, uh, TV, God, a shit ton of t-shirts back in the day. So many of them with so many different catchphrases. Uh, you know, tap out, I'll break your freaking neck, all that sort of stuff. And I don't know that he was ever like the company's number one merch mover, But I can see, you know, it's kind of weird. He uh, is sort of the preface to Cena in a sense that he has so many different shirts uh, with different sayings on them, all of different colors, except Kurt kind of stuck with the red, white, and blue, where Cena had more of your, I don't want to say outlandish, but more of your throwback type of colors that you'd see on, like, basketball jerseys because he sort of appealed to a different market. And it's totally cool, totally awesome, totally fine. Just something that they have in common, even when they're different. And so, again, the Milkomania, peak babyface, your invasion, uh, SummerSlam 01 is probably the, the, the model that you want to use when compared to Captain America. But he easily gets the nod, not just because of his clean-cut babyfaceness, even though it wasn't clean-cut, uh, and not because he wears the American flag, much like Captain America. Because, hey, Homelander wears the American flag, too. So you can wear the American flag and be a douchebag. See... Actually, I'm not going to make any political comments. Uh, So let's lock that pick in place. Now, moving on to Iron Man. This one was a bit easier to find and justify. 
Uh, probably to the surprise of no one, if you want to talk about a talkie-talkie Robert Downey Jr. throwing quips and being cocky and arrogant, well, who else defines cocky and arrogance in professional wrestling while still being everybody's favorite? Uh, other than Mr. Johnson himself, that being The Rock. I'm kind of looking at that in sock era of The Rock and Sock, if you will. The era where Austin is gone and The Rock is just babyface number one on the top of the marquee. Robert Downey Jr. is box office. Well, The Rock in the year 2000 is box office too. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., fantastic ad-libber. Great on the mic when dealing with his other Avengers or his enemies. Um, I don't necessarily think that anyone is going to outdo The Rock. I don't care if it's scripted or off-scripted. Um, you know, and if Robert Downey Jr. is going to ad-lib, well, The Rock's going to ad-lib too. What's that? The, script, the, the format of the show says The Rock does a 10-minute interview? Well, Rock's probably going 20, folks, so you might as well just make your adjustments now. Here's something I like, though. Iron Man in the MCU is really great towards his latter half. You know, because you got to remember, Iron Man got his solo movies out of the gate pretty early in the MCU's history. And he spent most of his final contractual appearances playing off the, the larger breadth of characters. Rock has so many fun moments with different characters, not just Mick Foley. You know, uh, I think he's got a, like a fun. He's got fun shit with Jericho. I think he did a funny bit with Kyantai one time. I mean, look, and those are just stupid off the cuff examples. But Kane, as an example, uh, The Rock is just. You know, his character is so well-defined that when you put him with another character that's also well-defined but different, somehow it's going to work and be entertaining but still make sense in the world of professional wrestling, especially in the Attitude Era when sort of all bets were off. And so uh, the last big piece being in-ring work, you know, like we had said, Tony Stark's kind of a genius, so does that equate to being a great worker? I mean... The Rock's wrestling style is sort of a greatest hits presentation. Um, I think a lot of people in the Attitude Era were. You knew what you were going to get. I mean, that's just, I mean, professional wrestling's whole. Roman Reigns comes out for a match. You know at some point he's going to hit the ooh spear, the Superman punch, and stuff like that. Attitude Era wrestling was a bit formulaic. Um, and The Rock falls into that category. Uh, hypothetical worst sharpshooter of all time. I don't really care about that. So maybe he doesn't quite fit the bill when it comes to Tony Stark's inventiveness. But at the same time, can you see anyone else in the Attitude Era uh, being not only a playboy, uh, you know, and then also putting on the suit of armor and just being a badass? I mean, uh, The Rock, the way he looks now, wouldn't even need the armor because he's definitely inhuman. But at the same time, I think he's a great pit for pit. Well, who cares? Take two. He's a great pick for the Attitude Era version of Iron Man. And rounding out the Holy Trinity in the Attitude Era is Thor. Now, Thor, we mentioned, was an attraction. A champion in their own right. Capable of being in the main event. Also capable of being on the lunchboxes with Cap and Iron Man. But in a way, different from Cap and Iron Man. And to me... There's no better example than the Intercontinental Championship era, or to, a, a, to, to use a less fun name or a less PC name, the good housekeeping era of the ninth wonder of the world, China. Put the tweets down. I'll admit, I've, I've, done, I've done so many shows where I've copped this. I'm a China mark. 
because China was lightning in a bottle. No pun intended because I'm making her Thor. Okay, But she was an absolute attraction that was unlike everything else in the company at the time. And it may have started because she was a woman. Okay, but in the end, she, you know, I mean, look, she, yeah, I'm not trying to take away from her that she was a breakthrough female competitor, but she couldn't be defined by just that. You know, she was able to go toe to toe with other athletes and sports entertainers and characters in the ring. Uh, and, I, and I'm standing behind that. You put her in there, and it's an instant, I want to see what's going to happen. Also, what's that? You've got her powerbombing Chris Jericho and getting the one, two, three. Okay, I believe that because it's fucking China. She could go toe-to-toe with anybody, and they always made sure to, if she was going to lose or be overpowered by another character, it felt fair, you know? It, it, I, I don't know any other way to put it. You know, it wasn't, uh, I mean, I mean... You can't have, I mean, she, yeah, she gets paired up with Miss Kitty later. That's a great example of how Miss Kitty is just a character that's out there for the king to yell something ridiculous, okay? She, he may have done that shit with China. I mean, I know he did, but it was different. And you want to talk about moving merch or being on the lunchbox? I know that Playboy magazine isn't a lunchbox, it's two different markets, but that fucking Playboy issue sold like hotcakes. She got two of them, I think. And I don't want to hear any shit about China in Playboy or anything like that. I don't care what you're into. Just shut the fuck up. All right? China was a misused... Mm, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get off on a rant. Uh, With the absolute right storyline and the right opponent across from the ring, she could have been the main event anywhere in the country, and I stand by it. And she is... More than the mighty Thor. She is our version of Thor Odinson in the Attitude Era Avengers. Okay, Thor's in the Thor's in the bag. Let's take a look at the Hawk or Hawkeye. So, my idea for the Attitude Era Hawkeye takes us to the very, very limits of the Attitude Era or the very end. So I kind of apologize for that. Because it's I don't I don't know. A lot of people say the Attitude Era ended at WrestleMania 17, and while I certainly agree with the concept, uh, I personally don't feel that the Attitude Era is really over until the brand split. I feel like that's a clean cut and clear, concise, how many words start with C, uh, place for me to delineate. So in the Invasion storyline, there is a hero, a hero for everyone even though he's a member of the evil invading alliance. And that is Robert Van Dam. Specifically, the No Mercy triple threat version of RVD. Now look, I'm going to call this character a babyface. RVD, while he was an invader, and I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, and a part of the alliance, he's he's never a heel. He might be a little rude, you know, like, ah, Jeff Hardy, I'll beat you up, whatever. That's a shitty Rob Van Dam impression. But the guy is always over, okay? And I think that is a great, great thing to have in your back pocket. Even after the years went by and they murdered this guy's uh, value and worth, RVD's still over. Now, in how he relates to Hawkeye, RVD is never the guy that's going to sell the show. 
okay? But he's always going to be a massive contributor, with the exception maybe of that No Mercy triple threat, where I think a lot of us, uh, you know, I, it's kind of funny, I, I think I missed that paper purview or something happened. I don't know. Well, I was in college at the time. So, and I was going to go to a bar and watch it and I feel like something fell through, but I didn't see that show. However, uh, there was a great, it was either a PTB or, uh, something that JT was on where they, you know, they covered no mercy 2001 and he was just enamored with this performance in the match. And and I did watch it and was thoroughly entertained. And he, they made great points about how RVD, they should have just butt the bullet and gone for it. With all the championships running around, what's the big deal if RVD has this big one? You know, he was certainly uh, at the height there. But he can main event pay-per-views being my point. And the crazy over Babyface Alliance version is probably your best buy-in for making him a world champion. Uh, much more so than in 2006 or whatever when he... And I, I can we I can marijuana. You're gonna you're gonna make RVD lose the belt for some weed. Jesus Christ, grow up, people. But anyway, his few storylines in the Attitude Era were very few and far in between. But this particular one stands out as not only a shining gem of that era, but also pretty much of the Invasion storyline. And I feel like again, it sort of lives forever as a missed opportunity. But he can absolutely slot into the main event at any point in time. But he was sort of always a mid-card champion. And that's why he's a perfect fit for Hawkeye. Whatever. The Black Widow. Oh, this was a fun one, in my opinion. We've got the Blackheart variant of Owen Hart. So that very short time period after Survivor Series 97, and basically leading up to the DX uh, in your house pay-per-view, where, you know, unfortunately, no, that's where he comes back. What am I thinking? It's like he came back at that pay-per-view at the end after the Shamrock Michaels match, and he was hot as hell. And then within like two or three weeks, he was losing on Raw or feuding with Triple H already. But man, that that rare period where the Blackheart was, you know, a face. Because this guy, much like the Black Widow, has gone face heel, face heel a couple times. Not so much towards the end of his career, where he was pretty much always a heel, but he started off, of course, as Rocket Owen Hart in high energy. He's a great worker. He's athletic and limber, just like the Black Widow. And the Black Widow, so again, the big one of the big defining characteristics of the Black Widow allegory to the WWF slash E performer is supposed to be that missed potential or the lost opportunity. And the Black Heart version of Owen Hart was a very large missed opportunity, if for nothing else. Okay, obviously, the, the company's direction is set in stone. I'm not here to rewrite that history or or not pay attention to it. But not having him, you know, challenge at like, I don't know, Royal Rumble. And then you avoid that casket match. And then Shawn Michaels doesn't have the back injury. But if he doesn't have the back injury, maybe he remains a dick forever. But was there anything really wrong with him being a dick? He was just being who he was. Okay, now we're on a completely different uh, podcast opportunity. But, you know, the Blackheart version's kind of wasted. And uh, it's too little too late. And I feel like people really wanted to see Owen and Shawn tear each other apart. People, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, but in order... <clears throat> In order to continue the recording, I had to clear my throat. It's just the way it is sometimes. But in order 
to, to really, and now I don't want to make it sound like they didn't capitalize on everything that fell out of the, uh, the screw job because they certainly did. But I mean, this one, maybe it was just too on the nose for Vince, or maybe they thought Sean and Owen would, you know, uh, go into business for themselves. Uh, I don't believe that per se. I think Owen Hart probably wouldn't have it. I'm not just saying that because the man's dead. Uh, I just, he probably wouldn't have because he valued it the money that he was making for his family. I think that's kind of just a logical conclusion to draw. Um, so not having the main event of pay-per-view at the very least was ridiculously stupid. Um, so yeah, and I, and I don't mean to harp on Black Widow as a missed opportunity in the MCU. I mean, she was, but she is great and Owen's great. And I just think it's a perfect, uh, comparison to one another. And so that's why the black heart gets this spot. I did. I bet I, I would have never, never imagined i don't know who's what voice i'm doing there that this particular lineup is what would have been the attitude era avengers but man when you when you got it here to these rules you know you've really got to think about it and look look deep into the heart of the attitude era and man they just don't fit these conventions these these straight up baby face conventions so you know it is what it is but yeah i would have never guessed that owen would have been a pick but i'm more than happy to include him man i just love that blue blazer run at the end which i'm not saying to make a joke about okay owen's perfect as the aloof superhero like we're in this golden age of like superheroes and entertainment i mean they're and i'm not trying to really promote the boys too much i think the boys is a little on the nose but where's the aloof ridiculous superhero like the blue blazer all right i don't need uh i don't know i'm, I'm done with it i'm just gonna move on the incredible hulk will indeed be the diesel push variant of Kane from the Royal Rumble 2001. Well, he's certainly got that world beater destruction wrestling style that we talked about, and Kane can be anywhere on the card. Hulk is always one to get a great audience reaction, whether it's beating the shit out of Loki or running in at the last second to protect Loki from Thanos. We have Hulk, you know, he's got all these crowd pleasing moments. And I don't necessarily think that Kane stacks brick for brick like that. But in this rumble, man, he wins over the crowd like he's fighting in the arena on Planet Hulk or Sakaar, if you will. And I, I really, really like that. Austin's clearly the guy that's going to win the rumble. But man, I feel like the audience really, really sort of at certain times bit into Kane. Uh, it's kind of like how we thought that, well, I mean, Hulk can take out Thanos, so this is probably going to be over pretty quick. It's like, well, look at him. I mean, Austin might be the man, but Kane has been dominant and, you know, winning this whole thing. Maybe they're going to, you know, switch things up and get there some other way. I don't know. And you want to, you want to talk about the Hulk as a character changing throughout the course of the MCU. I mean, even if we cut out everything after the Attitude Era, which we kind of have to do, I mean, think about his debut and where he started versus where he is here at the, in the last, you know, days of the Attitude, or at least the last year of the Attitude Era. He's fully talking. His wardrobe has changed up. His in-ring style, his physical appearance, you know, he's, we're kind of in that Kane Golden Era where he's like fast and doing the, the, um, leaning powerbomb, I don't know what to call it, the like diving powerbomb is his finish. I mean, I don't know, I really appreciate it. And hey, if you want to throw Kane into a makeshift tag team, that's going to be entertaining, just like how the MCU does with Hulk. Who would have thought it would be funny to see Hulk and Ant-Man bond over tacos? I wouldn't have, but it's great. Who would have thought that Hulk 
and Rocket Raccoon would bond over science, not me, and who would have thought that Hulk and Thor would be best buds? Well, okay, if Hulk's in his strongest Avenger variant, sure, but they're great as a makeshift tag team in Ragnarok, and Kane is your go-to makeshift tag team guy in wrestling history, regardless of the fact that when he's the mayor, he's a prick. So, I mean, that's that's going to put a bow on the Attitude Era Avengers, and holy shit, elephant in the room, and I'm prepared to talk about it. How the fuck does Stone Cold Steve Austin not make the list? Because li- this project seems fairly obvious that uh, your cornerstone, touchstone members, or your your corporate face, not, not to say corporate face is a bad thing, but your, your big money maker, your biggest attraction, each era clearly has one. How the fuck does Austin not make the cut? And I'm surprised too. But here's the conclusion that I came to. Stone Cold Steve Austin is a ridiculously unique character in professional wrestling history. He doesn't fit into any sort of mold that other main eventers do. Now, sure, they've tried to emulate the character over time uh, since he's arrived and come and gone, but they've never had that level of success. And when guys do find their their, uh, spot at the top of the card solidified and their identity as the brand leader identified, looking at guys like Cena, Roman Reigns, uh, etc., etc., their presentation is different from Austin. No one has been like him again, at least as the lead character on top. And of course, if you look at the new gen and like Federation era before him, no characters were like him before. So that's probably the highest praise I can give Stone Cold. I can't fit him into one of these boxes. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing when you lean back and really, you know, put your feet up and deep thought about it. So that's that's sort of my, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to go any deeper into it. That's the way I feel about Stone Colds in relation to this project. Once I couldn't find a spot for him, I was like, why? Why couldn't I do that? And that's what I came up with. So before we move on to the new generation, though, we got to imagine that big Avengers hero shot. Well, I'm sure Kurt Angle has got a big glass jug of milk and he puts it down and wipes off that milk mustache. And, you know, he's ready to go. Owen Hart with his hands in the air going, woo! Kane summons the pyro. RVD points at his shoulders. China loads up her bazooka. And at the end, The Rock takes a big inhale, sticks his hand out and says, bring it. And then, bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. How have I made it this whole episode and not sung the Avengers theme? I sing the Avengers theme song when I successfully complete a load of laundry or unload the dishwasher. I'll put that last plate in the cupboard and be like, bum, 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 bum. Put the plate in and then, bum, 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 bum. I mean, it's sort of my go-to day-to-day song to get me through life's little bullshit. So, I can't believe I made it halfway through this thing without singing it, but there we go. It's in the bag. Earth Attitude in the bag. Let's move on to Earth New Generation. And the new generation can be found here on the North-South Connection podcast every other Thursday, rotating with the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast with New Gen on a Mission, covering Brett versus Sean all the way to Brett versus Sean. 
from 93 to 97. I love that little tagline. It's such great synergy. Now, in my opinion, this is the short... Well, it's not my opinion. It's just fucking numbers. This is the shortest era to draw from. But as I dug into this thing, there are certainly plenty of fucking choices. And in our last episode of the Multiverse of Fabulousness, where we tried to rebook In Your House number one, uh, I talk, we talked about this. You know, there's so many baby faces available to book in these shows, but there's hardly any heels. But since we're in the business of dealing with baby faces here in the uh, wrestling cinematic universe Avengers rosters, um, there are a lot of fucking choices to choose from. And even though we have so many at our disposal, I am going to go ahead and make a ridiculous choice right off the bat. Well, it's not ridiculous, but it's definitely kind of humorous in a way that I didn't want it to be, but at the same time, I absolutely cannot deny the characters being almost a match made in heaven for one another. So, leading Earth New Gen's own Avengers, folks, as Captain America, we've got the beaten heart of the WWF, Brett the Hitman Heart. And yes, it personally hurts me as a person who's not much of a fan of the old Hitman. But I cannot deny that from WrestleMania 10 onward uh, until about the time where he loses the belt and uh, sort of goes on that mid-card run, uh, he's absolutely the epitome of everything that is the new WWF generation. Okay, And I mean that in a lot of ways. I mean that in a lot of ways that indicate that it's a very weak time in their history. Uh, in terms of their popularity, and in terms of their mass media appeal. And he is the captain at the head of the ship. And I do not think in any way, shape, or form that that's an accident. But at the same time, let's be fair, his goody-two-shoes persona is pretty much Captain America. It just in a nutshell. Um, he's an amazing in-ring talent. I absolutely can't deny that. And we do know that he's moved a shit ton of merch and uh, legendarily received a shit ton of fan mail. So I suppose it all lines up and makes sense. Not to mention that when he's in a different type of match, like a steel cage match with his brother Owen, <laughs> or uh, a match with Diesel where there's no holds barred, and he wants to go against the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels in a ladder match on Coliseum Home Video in Saskatoon, well, he can adapt to that match as well. Look, I I've been trying to keep a straight face during this entire show. I'm sorry, I have to talk about Bret Hart, so I have to make it fun for myself. I do love the fact that given his ridiculously hardcore uh, Canadian persona in 97, uh, that he's Captain America is the irony is not lost on me, and that's a joke that I've, I I actually don't think that is funny, and so I'm not going to avoid it. But I mean, <laughs> I mean I do kind of like the idea of Bret Hart with his long stringy hair with a shield with the fucking maple leaf on it. I mean I would pay for that, like I would pay. So you know hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C. Um, but I, but I do think in all seriousness to finally be rid of my hitmanitis. I do think it's a perfect fit. Um, you know, Bret Hart, whether it's in his own head, uh, behind the scenes, or on camera, is always doing the quote-unquote right thing. And like I said, when he's adapting these matches, like a cage match or a ladder match, he's not even taking, like, the shortcuts. You know, he might ram his brother Owen's head into the cage, but only after Owen does it to him. And, you know, he'll try to escape from the contest. And just to put an end to the conflict, 
rather than, you know, put bodily harm on someone. And, and you know, I again, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I do absolutely think that it's a perfect fit, especially for this era. So I'm just going to have to put a bowl, uh, a brother bowl on it. And just like his little brother, uh, Bret Hart gets to be an Avenger for a day, I suppose. However, I can already see it now. Fucking Marvel Wrestling Cinematic Universe Civil War, where Captain America and Iron Man argue over superhero registration in the comic books. It's not called the Sokovia Court. What a, what a strange name. I mean, I know the Superhero Registration Act is a bit on the nose, uh, especially if you want to make it seem like it's real legislation. But the Sokovia Accords, number one, most common folk don't know what Sokovia is, and most ordinary folk don't know what Accords are. So, I don't know. It seems like a loss, but I digress. However, in this world, it would be Captain America and Iron Man. And I gotta tell you, I'm usually on Captain America's side when it comes to the ideology behind it. But uh, I'm Team Iron Man this time because Iron Man in the new generation is absolutely the heart. Right, Ken, Sean, Michaels, and it's the bearded uh, mid to early late. Uh, no, wait, mid to early late. Why don't I just say spring to fall? Yeah, that works better. <laughs> Use take two. It's the spring bearded version of Shawn Michaels in 95 when he's been forced to turn babyface, but he's absolutely going out there and just being the, the fucking showstopper. Like, putting on matches against, uh, you know, guys like Jeff Jarrett in a decent match, doing the ladder match with Razor Ramon. Uh, you know, he's at the top of the card, even though he's the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, he might be Diesel's little buddy, but he goes out there and he outworks him every night. And plus, when he's got that beard, man, like, and, I, and, and again, I'm not trying to lean too much into the comic book stuff. I think Shawn Michaels is a main eventer, just like Iron Man. He's, he's definitely not as good on the mic as a Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr., let's be fair. But I do think he probably is when there's not a microphone in front of him, if that makes sense. And, you know, Iron Man has a very famous storyline. You know, Demon in a Bottle, sort of poorly adapted in Iron Man 2. But for years, Tony Stark was drunk in the comics. And I'm not... Look, Shawn Michaels, it's 95, he's got the beard, we all know what's going on. I kind of love the, the synergy there and kind of what I'm feeling in my head. I could actually see... I mean, come on, right? Shawn Michaels, the, let, let's let's keep this wrestling based. Shawn Michaels, the character, absolutely gets behind that curtain and walks around. Uh, I, you know, this is ridiculous. I should be on the top of the card. I'm the best. Everybody knows it. You know, uh, everybody needs to listen to me. I'm the smartest guy in the room. Uh, everybody should be taking pictures of me. Everybody should want my autograph. I should be on the news. Uh, I I am Iron Man. I mean, dude, must I say more? Um. I just think it's a perfect fit, and I do love the Civil War synergy, and I am going to lock it in. It's finalized, which isn't something I've been doing, but I guess that just means I'm ready to transition, because I think there's no more to say. And the, the rounding out the holy trinity of the new generation Avengers, well, I you know, Thor is a lot of fun, and so the new generation has a lot of fun characters as well. And, of course, we need someone who's sort of a, a big powerhouse type. We need someone who's sort of like a lovable badass. Someone that could be on the lunchbox. This one, that, that one's a little bit more of a stretch here. Uh, but, you know, Thor, uh, 
you know, he's, he's like, oh, I'd storm the beaches with you, nor, storm the beaches with you any day, Captain. Or, you know, uh, he knew that Mjol- he, Cap would be able to lift Mjolnir. Like, Thor's kind of proud of his little buddy, right? And it's like, you know, his his Earth friends, ha oh, oh, ha, you mortals. Like, and I'm not saying that'd be silly. You know, they're all sitting around getting drunk in Age of Ultron, you know, and it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't do anything funny enough, but I think you guys get the point. Um, and he's definitely a little out of touch with sort of the reality of the rest of the Marvel world, uh, as this character is with the WWF world. But it is the international incident build-up and event version of Psycho Sid. That's right, it's Sid in his one of his uh, his aw- most awesome babyface runs. You know, I think that it's been well documented in uh, North South Connection Podcast Network history, the overwhelming love that folks have for Sid. Uh, but also, to, to harness it on this specific time period, you know, when the Warrior flakes out in 96 and Sid was brought in as a replacement, you know, in my however old I was head, you know, I was bummed that the Warrior was gone, but Sid brought in energy that that version of the Warrior absolutely had not been. And, you know, my tastes were getting a little bit older, so, I, you know, I was kind of more into the fact of kind of like a crazy wild card big guy who was, you know, best friends with Shawn Michaels, who was my favorite at the time, and also with Ahmed Johnson, who was like this hot new star uh, that I definitely was into as well. And it's just sort of this perfect little trinity right there, you know, in my opinion. Um, and I love the idea that Sid, you know, Sid seems like the type of guy that would actually be sitting in like catering and slam a cup of coffee on the ground and just yell, another! Oh, uh, let me get, uh, hey, we're live, pal. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, can I have another coffee, please? <laughs> you know, so it's just, I, I just kind of enjoy this version of Sid so much that I had to get him in here. And of course, this Sid would eventually go on to be the WWF champion multiple times but this particular I mean this is the crazy Sid that drives the car into Camp Cornette uh, you know and Vince of course goes Psycho Sid and then you know you've got him at International Incident uh, the fans go crazy I was going to say they knock the barricade over for him but they actually do that for Sean but you know and he kind of feels like everybody's best buddy upperclassman you know what I mean and that's kind of what Thor feels like to the Avengers I mean He's always going to be an upperclassman to us mortals, if that makes sense. And I just think that this particular version of Sid feels and encompasses all of that. And I would absolutely pay a shit ton of money to watch Sid perform any scene from Thor Ragnarok. One entertainer that's not worried about Ragnarok, at least in the era of the new generation, because they're very much still a vital part of the WWF, and would go on to be a very large part of the WCW success as well, is our choice for Hawkeye. And that's the 1995 SummerSlam ladder match variant of Razor Ramon. Now, why is it in particular that version of Razor and not like the WrestleMania 10 ladder match version of Razor? Well, you know, we talked about in the last episode with our In Your House rebooking, Razor's a little stale at this point in time. And, I, and I'm not trying to throw shade at Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, or anything like that. But I think if you're going to use Razor for this, and I absolutely wanted him on, the, on this team, because he's the perfect embodiment of the ultimate mid-card superstar. Um, 
And I think that when he's sort of towards the end of that level of popularity encompasses that because if you were going to push him up to the top, he needed a change. And if you were going to keep him a babyface, this is where he was going to be. Now, he could absolutely be a main eventer, though. I mean, what I mean by that is this guy could main event television, a house show, anything like that. Um, If you want to get him at the top to the pay-per-views, though, you're probably going to have to switch him. Because, you know, you've got Diesel and Shawn Michaels battling for the top spot. So where does Razor fit in? Maybe he's got too much personality to be Hawkeye, or at least the Hawkeye equivalent. I could absolutely understand that argument and go with it because Razor's extremely charismatic. Uh, but, you know, you can't be a complete match. That's pretty, pretty hard to come by. His storylines are also incredibly weak. Which, even though Hawkeye gets a little bit of attention in Adventures Age of Ultron, it's not until he gets his own TV show that Hawkeye is really even anything other than the guy who's always at risk of dying. And I think that kind of equates to Razor, not in the equivalent of being the guy who's close to dying. I'm not trying to be morbid or silly about it. It's just that there's not much going on, except you're either going to be entertained or not entertained by Razor Ramon or slash Hawkeye. And so, unfortunately... It doesn't, you know, and I feel bad because I'm not trying to make it sound like it's a it's a demotion or it's a bad award to win. I'm not giving you, like, the most improved. It's like, well, you kind of sucked, but you're a little bit better now. You know, I just don't really feel that Razor Ramon ever met his potential. And this particular era, this version, is the perfect example. That's still putting on great matches. You know, still selling merchandise, I'm imagining. But at the same time, it's kind of like, this is it, man. You're never going to get higher than this unless we change something up. And we all know the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Marvel Studios brand isn't one to take risks or switch things up in this era. So, Razor, that's your spot. But you're a very welcome addition. The Black Widow. Folks, it's a very narrow time frame as well. But I, and I mentioned him earlier, I'm in love with this version of the character. The post-beware of dog until the night after international incident version of the Pearl River powerhouse, Ahmed Johnson. Is this character the ultimate what-if in professional wrestling? Well, probably not the ultimate what-if, because there's all kinds of what-ifs. But man, it's one to think about. Every time this guy gets a push, just like the Black Widow solo film, which kind of too little too late, floppy floppy, whatever you want to call it. Well, it didn't flop. It just wasn't a success. It's a COVID era, though, so we're not looking at it the same way. But let me get back to Ahmed Johnson, okay? He gets the push. He wins the Intercontinental title, and he gets injured. Not his fault, okay? He, he is injury prone later, and it is his fault, I guess. Um, at King of the Ring 97, when he gets the WWF Championship shot, and I've heard so many rumors that he was supposed to win. Now, I, I can't substantiate that. I just remember reading it all the time back on the internet, and, and Farouk gets slotted in the main event. I, like I said, I have no concrete evidence to back that up. I just have always heard it. This guy had so much potential, and he was absolutely such a cool visual. This Ahmed Johnson, in my opinion... And I'm not trying to compare him to Goldberg, literally, but he's sort of Goldberg before Goldberg. And he's more athletic in a lot of ways in terms of like he can fly. And I'm doing the finger quotes thing here. But he absolutely has the same intensity. And the problem is, even in that match with Goldust at King of the Ring where he wins the strap, you know, it's a little too long of a match. Like, he needs to be in squashes. 
Uh, he slammed Yokozuna, for God's sakes. If he's going out there on Raw, it needs to be a squash. And if it's a pay-per-view where he's challenging Goldust for Intercontinental title, he needs to win the title in about three minutes, four minutes, something like that. Okay? Think the modern Goldberg style of matches. Um, I just feel like he was absolutely on fire to be a consistent number two babyface. I forget what podcast it was on, but I I tried to spin a multiverse ramble where you get champion versus champion, title versus title at some point between Sean and Ahmed because they're buddies at this point. You got to break up at some point. I don't, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. That's, That's all fiction. That part is fiction in my head. But I just, you know, I really love, maybe it's just my love for International Incident as a random one off pay per view and the random six-man tag main event. I kind of do have a soft spot for shows that have like an attraction on top instead of a title match. And I'm all in on 96 Shawn Michaels. It's the reason I got back into professional wrestling. So maybe I'm just a little too easy on this six-man... I don't know. They don't really have like a fun team name. Um, But these dudes with attitudes, if you will. So that's why Ahmed gets the nod from me. And like I said, he's sort of the ultimate what-if. And again, sort of on what-ifs, it kind of ties into my Hulk character as well. We've got the black glove version of Diesel. After he powerbombs the shit out of Bret Hart at the Survivor Series 95, Diesel's still a babyface. He's a unique babyface. Maybe he's only a babyface in his own head, but he does, you know, he, he taps the kidsters. Uh, fist bumps him as long as they've got the black glove and he finally is the badass once again it's a huge character evolution just like the incredible hulk and of course we know that this version goes on to fight uh, you know the undertaker and Shawn michaels and gets a little bit more heel but in these early stages he's a monster but a lovable monster uh he's finally what we always wanted you know it's like when we get to see hulk uh, in Thor Ragnarok, and he's the gladi- gladiatorial king champion. That's kind of the Hulk we want to go one-on-one with Thor. He's in a spot where we can safely watch him be at his fullest potential and still cheer for him and love him because he's not, you know, accidentally destroying cities or killing innocent bystanders. He's a hero. He's a menace. Well, what's Diesel? Is he a hero to you or is he a menace? And yes, I realize that at this point in time, if you look at the new generation Avengers, half of them is the click. But come on, isn't that the new generation in a nutshell? Isn't that the story of the new generation? Eventually it becomes the story of the click. And the click still continues to influence professional wrestling to this very day. C, H, comma, triple. And even though he's not on this Avengers roster, I think it's important that that becomes a part of the narrative as well. And that's going to conclude the new generation version of the WWE Avengers. We get our big hero shot, of course. Captain Canada, Bret Hart. You know, he's got the sunglasses on in the Maple Leaf Shield. I bet he raises the sunglasses and kind of looks around like, oh shit, I'm in way over my head because I'm not as good as I thought I was. HBK standing next to him, probably yelling at him because he's blowing a spot. Psycho Sid is just blinking, doing that crazy thing he does with his eye as the Chitari aliens surround the Avengers. Razor Ramon's doing his me point taunt thing that, you know, the thing he did with his thumbs and the stomps and the summoning the pyro. 
Ahmed Johnson had that ridiculous Pearl River plunge hand motion he would do where he'd sort of jump, stomp, and throw his arms out. So he's doing that. And of course, Diesel has got his fist out with the black glove waiting for a fist bump from one of these evil aliens. And if he doesn't get that fist bump, he's ready to murder them. It's a crazy era in history. And I think the new generation roster of Avengers shows that. But there's only one time period left, folks. And this is the major leagues, in my opinion. Some of it's going to be obvious, but by God, if you want to talk about a roster of WWF superstars that are like comic book superheroes, look no further than the Federation era and the rock and wrestling connection as well. Now, a short disclaimer here for our Earth Federation choices. I want to make it very clear, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, okay, I want to make it clear I'm not endorsing these individuals as heroes. I'm not saying the things that they've done in their own lives are heroic. I am literally just talking about the characters that are portrayed on our television screens. Unfortunately, with all the gaps between then and now and forever, uh, we know that these folks may not have been the best people in general. And that doesn't account to all of them. All right. But at the same time, just want to put the disclaimer out there. I'm not endorsing, you know, that this person acts as Captain America, for God's sakes, because it's so not true. But the character absolutely does. And with that disclaimer out of the way, I mean, it's already obvious who the choice for Captain America is. Okay. It, it goes beyond reason to choose almost anyone else. But if you have another idea, I'd love to hear it. Uh, but I think the. January 23rd, 1984, all the way to WrestleMania 6 version of Hulk Hogan is not only the number one choice for Captain America, it's the only choice. And I'm not even talking about the fact that the Hulk Hogan character is a walking, living embodiment of like a USA mark or, uh, you know, nationalism and what have you. Uh, because it's very much an American-centric character, but not in the way that like Lex Luger was, for example, where the Lex Luger character that was a USA character, that was like his entire brand identity. It's like he can't even sit on this comfy couch with his fake family and sweaters and wish us a happy Thanksgiving without reminding us that we live in the good old US of A, and by God, we should be happy that we have the freedom to celebrate Thanksgiving. Hulk Hogan could cut a non-United States promo, okay? But here's the big kicker, all right? When you're thinking about this era of television, he is the one that you turn to. Comic books have a great way of making the important staples of their universes feel more than. The best example I can think of is there's a, there's a scene in a comic called Prelude, or Road to Infinite Crisis, which isn't, isn't relevant, okay? But there is a murder scene. Someone has been killed, and the entire, basically, DC Universe superhero community is there investigating the scene. And everyone's trying to get a feel for what the response should be and what we should do and how we should handle this. It's not until Superman arrives that everyone sort of stops in their tracks and watches and waits to see what Superman's response is, and they will follow suit. 
in the Marvel Universe, there's a sequel to Civil War called Civil War II, where Iron Man and Captain Marvel lead basically teams of superheroes that disagree on a topic. But there's a great poignant scene, and I can't remember who is undecided as to what side they're going to be on, but this person says, uh, I'm yielding to Cap. And there's two Captain Americas at the time. There's Sam uh, Wilson and then Steve Rogers. But he's specifically looking at Steve Rogers, and he says, uh, you know, what Cap thinks we should do, I'm going to do. And then a lot of people are like, yeah, we'll follow you too. Because Captain America and Superman are sort of the, the beacon that people look to uh, as to how to conduct themselves within this universe or what the proper response or what the proper attitude is going to be. And Hulk Hogan casts a shadow over every other Federation-era hero that, you know, if if there's a group of evil heels beating on good guys... You know, who's the one person the crowd's going to look to that even though there might not be a relationship between the faces and heels, you know, the entire Heaton family is beating on, I don't know, I'm trying to think of someone who had no affiliation with Hogan ever at any time. Ah, this is really hard, actually. I was thinking Coco Beware, Hillbilly Jim, Ken Patera, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's just his fucking Survivor Series team. Um, okay. If the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric, is being beaten by the Heat and Fit, God, they don't coexist. Oh, fuck it. Just pretend. And the crowd's looking to the aisle like, oh, God, who's going to rescue the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric? Who's, I mean, Hulk Hogan, right? Hulk Hogan's the guy. Now, he doesn't interact with Texas Tornado. There's no relationship there. But he's the guy that we look to to save us. You know, and, and you want to talk about selling merchandise and tickets. I mean, come the fuck on. We're not even having that conversation. He's absolutely the number one draw. Is he vanilla? Sure. So is Captain America Steve Rogers. But Steve Rogers plays by his rules when it's necessary, as does Hulk Hogan. He's the first guy to choke somebody with his own shirt or bandana or scratch the back. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's actually kind of strange when you think about it. Uh, but... You know, if it's like a, uh, I reviewed for Cronoso the cage match between Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan, and Hogan Hogan's first offensive strike, I believe, is a choke. But it's a cage match, so what do you expect? He's just gonna do to you what you're gonna do to him, but he's gonna do it first because he's a master strategist. Or Terry Bollea didn't know how to make the Hogan character consistent. I don't know what the truth is, but any way you slice it, Hulk Hogan is the reason that professional wrestling exists in the form that it does. Him and Vince, uh, what's another argument for another podcast. And he is the centerpiece of the Federation-era Avengers, and that's what places him as Captain America. He's the leader. He's the one we all turn to. But for every Captain America, we have to have an Iron Man that while just as similar as Hulk Hogan and their desire to want to do good, tackles the problems from different angles. And if Hulk Hogan is your vanilla babyface, Iron Man is your more shades of gray. And Iron Man is perhaps your more interesting character. And, you know, we've talked about Civil War quite a bit. Is there any other Yang to Hulk Hogan's yin than this version of Iron Man the Macho Man Randy Savage variant that starts, at least to my knowledge, it doesn't start here, I'm sure, but the 
the the big change in the Macho Man character that sticks with me is that episode of the main event, the main event from February 1988, the single greatest wrestling television program of all time, where Andre and the uh, DiBiase you know, steal the belt from Hogan and Savage fights the Honky Tonk Man and then there's a tag title match that gets cut off. Um, I will stand on this hill forever. It's the best tele- It's the best wrestling program ever created. And he starts there, and I'm going to say this version of Iron Man Macho Man lasts until the Saturday night's main event where the Mega Powers wrestle the Twin Towers and Savage makes the turn. I can beat you one, two, three. This is not a question. Or, you know, I forget what he says. You can beat you one, two, three. That, that you know, because I've seen the video package a thousand times. That I can beat you one, two, three. Just, I love it. And it stands out in my memory forever. But we talked about how Iron Man's a talker. Check! Macho Man's promos, absolutely legendary. And even though they're similar to Hogan's in some ways completely fucking different in every other way. Iron Man's a genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist? Okay. Well, the Macho Man was a genius in the ring? Facts. Facts. No argument. They're facts. Uh, Playboy? He had Miss Elizabeth on his arm 24-7. Alright. And then you want to look at the Civil War aspect of it. Is Cap right? Is Iron Man right? Well, when the Mega Powers explode and have their Civil War... I could see an argument for who's really right here. You know, it was in a, in a different time period. The mega powers exploding would would be, you know, I was gonna say Rock Austin, but their big showdown at WrestleMania 17 is is one sided in the fact that it takes place in Texas. But maybe if they had fought on a neutral ground, which I know sounds ridiculous in wrestling, but hear me out. If that match is in like I don't know, Madison Square Garden. Or if you want to do it in a dome, if it's in the the Georgia Dome, I don't know. Well, maybe... uh, Okay, just fucking figure out a dome in neutral territory. That's not the point. But arguments can be made that Iron Man's one of the more interesting characters because he's a human and he has to deal with his interpretation of right and wrong and conflict. And also being a war profiteer. Savage, I mean, it's different. It's wrestling, but... He's also sort of the most interesting character in wrestling history. His arc from WrestleMania, uh, if you want to start at 3, you could start at 4, you could start at that main event, up until WrestleMania 7, or excuse me, 8. Greatest in history. Period. Uh, And you know what? Savage being a dick to Miss Elizabeth, even when he's a babyface? Well, I'd like to introduce to you a friend of mine, Ms. Pepper Potts. Who knows a little bit about a man in her life that she can't help but be drawn to that doesn't treat her in the way that she should be treated, at least initially. You know, let's not forget, he holds the ropes at seven. Tony Stark makes the call to, you know, that Pepper's the one for him and, you know, it's his guiding light. And you could even take the parallel a little bit deeper If you want to hearken Iron Man's ultimate character arc from Iron Man 1 to Avengers Endgame to the Savage arc I talked about. But Iron Man's sacrifice, he finally made the sacrifice play. I am Iron Man, snap, in Endgame. To uh, Savage at WrestleMania 7. He loses everything, but he gains the only thing that he ever needed. 
Macho Man Randy Savage is not only Iron Man, he's the best. Moving on. Thor Odinson. And you God, this Trinity is insane. It's it's crazy to me how how much this Trinity, this Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, actually lines up to my initial idea, which is why I'm sure you can tell when I sat out to do this, I, I quickly realized that my holy trinity was all Federation guys, and I was like, oh, well, I should probably do different eras. But a superstar who's much like Hogan and Savage, marketable, the kidsters love him, sells tickets, sells merchandise, has a great look, but Thor's a god. The other two are humans. So Thor has to act a little bit different than the other two. And you want to talk about acting a little bit different, but having similarities to Hogan and Savage? Folks, the god of thunder and rock and roll is indeed the Survivor Series 88 to WrestleMania 7 version. Um, why did I say Survivor Series? Man, and I was I was all hyped up at SummerSlam 88. God, I'm a fucking moron. That's what happens when you write SS in your notes. And I don't recommend writing SS on anything because it's not a good thing, but I digress. SummerSlam 1988 to WrestleMania 7 version of The Ultimate Warrior. That's my poor attempt at an Ultimate Warrior voice. But like I said, he's the only superstar like him period in presentation and the way that he behaves much like how Thor is the only god on the Avengers roster Ultimate Warrior is an easy main event anywhere in the country during this era of running two house shows and then of course after Wrestlemania 6 and up into Wrestlemania 6 and some of the build up he is the main event at house shows when you can't get Hogan to show up now you want to talk about, and this is sort of where uh, I'm really going to dive really deep into the wrestling and film parallels. So if I lose you for being too geeky, I apologize, but I really think this is fascinating. So Thor has four solo films, right? Thor, The Dark World, Ragnarok, and Love and Thunder. And I'm not going to spoil anything, so don't worry about that. In my opinion, only one of those films is great. Two of them are eh, okay, whatever, your taste may vary, and one of them is just dog shit awful, that being the Dark World's a dog shit awful, Love and Thunder and the original are to your taste, but to me they're kind of eh, and I think Ragnarok is genius, because of the way it it makes the Thor character more human, uh, more relatable, but doesn't push it too far, see my review here on the North-South Connection podcast of Thor Love and Thunder for more details, but in the ring, the Ultimate Warrior is exactly the same. You're going to get probably one of those three things. And I know you could say that about almost anybody, but hear me out here. With the right opponent, a.k.a. the right director and writer, you have gold. Ravishing Rick Rude, the Macho Man, Hogan. I mean, those guys are producing the best content that the Warrior can Uh you know, they're just, they're the ultimate matchups for him in terms of entertainment value. And then, you know, he's got other matches against like, oh, I don't know, Hercules, where you're getting Thor the Dark World. And then he's just got perfectly fine matches. Uh, I'm going to lean on Rude, even though I said he's one of his good ones. See that cage match at SummerSlam 90? It's fine. It's, you know, it's decent movie. Uh, it's decent match, but it's certainly not going to give you a negative reaction like Thor the Dark World or a positive one like Thor Ragnarok using my earlier example. 
I mean, this guy is Thor, right? Uh, he's a fish out of water because in his promos, I don't know what the fuck he's always talking about, but I get the general consensus. And if Thor wants to tell me a tale about how he fucked a wolf on the back of a she-wolf, but it ultimately led to a revolution in a realm that I've never heard of against dark elves and light elves, I get that the moral of the story is, be yourself. But I don't understand the references. Just like an Ultimate Warrior promo. And to me, this stamping of the Ultimate Warrior as Thor creates not only the most powerful, the most iconic, the most colorful, the most marketable, the most comic book-centric version of the WWF Avengers Holy Trinity. And I, I, I just, they're the reason I did this project. I, I'm waxing very poetic and philosophical on it because I think it's a good point. Obviously, it's my point that makes it good. No, I'm kidding. But I just, I don't know, it resonates with me. It's a silly topic that we're talking about today anyway. But if we're going to lean into it, let's really fucking lean into it and really talk about it. And that's why I think it's a great choice. Now, the back half of the team, just as strong, but in different ways, just like the actual Avengers roster is, in my opinion. Looking at our Hawkeye stand-in, we've got... Sort of a sort of a short time span here, but the WrestleMania 6 to WrestleMania 7 version of the Big Boss Man. Now, Big Boss Man in this time period is probably the most successful of the Hogan's buddies because the Hogan rub or the Hogan association that he had was sort of short-lived in a way. But the Big Boss Man was sort of strong enough as an individual type of character and an easily identifiable character that he didn't really need being Hogan's buddy. You know, it starts at SummerSlam 90 when he takes Tugboat's position in the corner. And then, yeah, he's on his Survivor Series team as well. But, you know, I, I, and I know that Brutus had his own career aside from being Hogan's buddy, okay? But I don't know. Something about Brutus, maybe it's just all the shit that happened after the fact, but I feel like... Brutus without Hogan, aside from maybe that WrestleMania 4 Intercontinental title match, which I guess you could have made the argument they should have made the switch or whatever, is, you know, he just seems so entangled with Hogan. I don't think of the big boss man being a Hogan hanger-honor in the Federation era as a babyface, but I absolutely, you know, because I was a big-time watcher at the time, realized that there is a Hogan rub there. And that SummerSlam 90 show really goes a long way to establish the big boss man as not so much a main event player, but a huge semi-main event player. I remember there's like a random interview with Mean Gene where he's talking to the boss man. He's like, boss man, one down, one to go. Because, you know, the boss man was the special guest referee when uh, a snake took on 200 pounds of Harlem sewer rats. It just made the big boss man seem so important and so different in the WWF. And he's very much a human amongst these larger-than-life characters, though. Sure, he's a cop. Well, Clint Barton's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Okay, similarities there. He's got a memorable feud with the Heenan family. He's got the absolutely memorable break from Slick. You can't buy justice, or whatever he says. And he doesn't necessarily need a belt to be a semi-main eventer. And in the Federation era, there's only two singles belts, so you better be a colorful character that stands out if you can't have one. And I think the big boss man does that. He's, you know, his, heel t- or his face turn was a big part of my early stages of being a fan. 
And I love his security guard work too, which isn't really included in this. And I wanted to get him on the team. I felt like it made sense. And when I thought about the cop and Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. connection, I worked myself into the rest of it. And since it lined up, here we are with the big boss man as Hawkeye. Now the Black Widow is your ultimate spy type character. You sort of never know what they're really thinking or what their agenda might really be. Even though we all know the Black Widow is a babyface. And even though we know that the version of this character that in my mind runs from WrestleMania 5 up until the moment that they turn heel around SummerSlam 91, this character, even though they're a babyface, you kind of always wonder how far they're willing to push it. And they're always one step ahead of the competition, just like the Black Widow. You know, she wears that cool mask where she looks like somebody else in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Well, she was one step ahead of you, Robert Redford, because it was the Black Widow all along. Well, Jake the Snake Roberts is also always one step ahead of you. Trust me. Trust me. Now, look, I can't use trust me to my advantage in making my points. But again, you know, you want to talk about the Black Widow movie coming out way after the fact and not making sense... Maybe Jake the Snake was a born heel and should have never been a babyface to begin with. Now, I, I could see that argument, and I could I could live in a world where that's the case. But he's so interesting as a babyface and a heel. It's crazy. You know, we empathize with the Black Widow character because of the choices she's had to make. Sure, she blew up a building to defect a shield. And that's an awful thing. But look at the good that's come out of her doing it. And I'm not saying the ends justify the means, please. And I'm not trying to apply this to real-life political scenarios, so don't even go there. I'm just making a point that Jake the Snake walked that razor's edge. Ooh, that should be the name of a DVD or something like that. Walking the razor's edge. Anywho, back to seriousness, though. His ring work wasn't flashy like Black Widow's martial arts, but it certainly was intelligent. And Black Widow's at her best when she's making calculated moves uh, in the command center. Or running the Avengers during the blip period. And Jake the Snake's intelligence pays off like that as well. You know, I don't know that Jake the Snake... Well, I was going to say, I don't know if Jake the Snake needed championships. Because, here's the thing, guys. Talk about 80s wrestling. Pull a random person. They might know that, you know, maybe they'll say Hogan, maybe they'll say Macho, maybe they'll say Warrior. But... And, and it maybe it's just because it rhymes. I don't know. But Jake the Snake's on the tip of the tongue. And Jake the Snake, the babyface version from this Federation era, is getting a spot here, in my opinion. The last member in our final Avenger to be revealed in this entire project is the Federation era equivalent of the Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk, as we've talked about in detail, is a wild card. You never know what you're going to get. And, you know, you could say that about Jake the Snake, but Jake the Snake feels more like a spy. You know, the Hulk is the living embodiment of your rage or your id, the unknown and unexpected about Bruce Banner's psyche. And you want to talk about the unknown and the unexpected or unquantifiable versions of someone's psyche. Let's talk about Rowdy Roddy Piper. The character has gone through so much evolution from his heel days in rock and wrestling to the Federation-era good guy. And, and the version that's in my head specifically is the Royal Rumble 92 to WrestleMania 8. It's short, yes. But man, 
That fucking Royal Rumble 1992 evening's performance is all time. He's smiling, holding the belt. He's finally got a title. But man, oh man, you put him in front of Ric Flair, the smiles are gone, and he's a crazy bastard who will do anything to become the WWF champion. You know, he respects Bret Hart, and he respects the Hart family, but it doesn't take much to make him go crazy during that match. It's as if he starts as Bruce Banner, and then he thinks about those bologna sandwiches that Helen Hart made him, and by God, he turns into the Hulk. He's, I mean, you could say the same thing about his commentary, for God's sakes. Look, Roddy Piper is a massive, massive reason that the WWF continued to survive past the rock and wrestling era. And I wanted to reward that. And I really think that he is a perfect analog for the Hulk. Sure, he's not a big, bruising monster. But at any point, at any match, I believe wholeheartedly that Roddy Piper could flip the switch and just turn into a maniac that would even attack his own partner if it met his own end game. And uh, I hope that that sort of goes to show why Roddy Roddy Piper is the pick for the Hulk. It's a shorter time span. Uh, You know, I I don't have a lot of specifics to go into, but I, I do think that WrestleMania 8 match is a great example of a tale of two parts of his brain. It's a tale of two people, a banner and a Hulk, and ultimately, the banner persona wins in the end because he doesn't murder, you know, what the hell, ring the bell! He doesn't ring the bell, but he, he leaves with his humanity intact to go on to lesser important and impactful storylines over time. So we get our final shot of the Avengers assembling. You gotta imagine that the 24-inch pythons are ripping that Hogan shirt the Macho Man's doing that thing with the finger in the air where he's spinning it. Uh-huh. The Ultimate Warrior doing his ridiculous gorilla press arms up and down motion. The Big Boss Man primes in position, spins the nightstick. Jake the Snake is ready to uncoil with Damon. Damon. Jesus. Damien wrapped around his neck, squeezing tighter and tighter, just like that classic promo where he's in the shower. And of course, to show that he's ready for business. Roddy Piper's going to rip off that kilt, spin it, toss it in the air, and let you know that it's go time, and the Avengers are indeed assembled. Folks, thanks for sticking through this journey, through wrestling and a little bit of comic book history, and diving deep with me into the various teams of Avengers that could have assembled throughout the many, many decades of WWF slash E! Entertainment. Please follow, subscribe, like, leave a review for all the stuff at the North-South Connection Podcast Network. It goes such a long way, and we greatly appreciate it. And come back the next time that we hop to another of these infinite Earths here on the Multiverse of Fabulousness. (laughs) 